Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm Mike Francatelli. Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking out the show. Got a great one today. I learned uh, <clears throat> learned so much in this conversation with uh, my guest, Eugene Trufkin. Uh, he wrote a book called The Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide. All the show notes, or the, the uh, links and stuff will be in the show notes. And he's also the author of uh, a fat loss book called The Laws of Aesthetics, Definitive Blueprint for Rapid Fat Loss for Living a Healthy Lifestyle. Uh, but we're really focused on his book, The Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide, where he kind of breaks it down and uh, shows people how to navigate the uh, toxic, poisoned, disease space of food in our modern world, at least in America. Uh, so we'll get into all of it. It's it's pretty it's pretty heavy, I guess. I mean, it's 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 just there's a lot. You know, you think, well, food. You know, you should just be able to grow your vegetables and pick them and eat them, right? And that's I think sort of the way that a lot of us would want to live, knowing that we're getting something that's just pure and natural and healthy in the way that human beings are supposed to eat. But, you know, there's so many things that are going on in our factory farm food system. So Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide is the book. And um, yeah, this is a, it's a great conversation. Like I said, I, I learned a ton and I hope you guys do too. So um, what else? That's pretty much it. And uh, yeah, I'll in, <clears throat> if you're in Denver, come out to Archipelago on December 20th. I'm going to be, uh, it's part of uh, Good Cinema's Secret Cinema Society. They're doing a documentary film called Surviving Progress. And so we're going to watch that and talk about the myth of progress, uh, you know, a very kind of civilized to death centric talk. So I'm pretty excited to, uh, to jam on that topic as it's been a passion of mine for quite some time. So if you're in Denver, come out on Friday the 20th to Archipelago. I don't know what the time is. I forgot off the top of my head, but check my social media, uh, Facebook and, and whatnot, Instagram, Mikeadelic underscore podcast. And uh, yeah, uh, you guys know what to do if you like the show. Check out the sponsor, Hemp Bombs, if you're interested in CBD stuff. Uh, put in the code MIKE15, you get 15% off CBD products. They ship everywhere in the country. And yeah, thanks for all the love and support. Appreciate it. Thanks to all the Patreon people. I dropped a bonus Patreon solo cast for all you patrons out there. All the uh, the producers of this show, you know, let me know what you think. Is it... Uh, is it good? Is it bad? Is it too long? You know, I, I love, I love feedback like that. You know, I love hearing from people. Send me an email. Hey, really like the podcast, but can you, uh, you know, turn down the intro music or make your intro shorter, right? Sometimes I hear that. So this, this one's going to be pretty short, but anyway, just, just get in touch with me. I always respond. I like to hear from you guys. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you enjoy this podcast, go to Apple podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review helps the show tremendously. And uh, like I mentioned, Patreon, you can become a Patreon uh, member for just $1 a month. So you can show your love and support for this show for $1 a month. And, uh, you know, tis the season to be giving. So if you do feel inclined, that would be very nice. I would really appreciate that. You can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank, B-R-A-N-C. And you get access to the bonus stuff and to the Inner Sanctum WhatsApp chat group where people are just continuing the conversation offline all day, 24-7, all around the world. So that's really cool. Um, 
yeah, and then my website's mikebrank.com, so you can go there. I also have one-time PayPal donations if you just feel like doing a one-time thing and you want to get involved in the, the monthly stuff. But that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thanks. Bye. Eugene, what uh, what got you started on this mission to help uh, bring information to people about uh, factory farming and searching for organic foods and things like that? What what got you started on this journey? Was it was it always something that you cared about, or did, was it something that you discovered uh, later on in life? Or how did it yeah, kind of well, first, um, thanks for having me on your show. And I guess to give you like a little bit of background of how I got involved in this kind of niche topic, which is I feel like one of the pillars of health, you know, sourcing high quality food. Yeah. Uh, basically, I, I was born and raised on like an off-grid biodynamic farm in Ukraine. And uh, so for the listeners that don't know what that is, it's basically uh, it's typically what a person has a mental image of when they think of farming. You know, they think of like a small family and they have like a wide variety of animals, a wide variety of crops kind of living on this small self-sustaining farm. So it's kind of like what most people have a mental image of when they think of farming to begin with. So I kind of grew up in that environment. And then when I came to the U.S. and I went to the supermarket for the first time, I thought like basically the U.S. mastered biodynamic farming because like visually you can't really tell the difference between kind of like organic or factory farm food or biodynamically produced food for the most part, uh, like visually. So right. for years and years, I kind of like shopped at places like Costco and I thought like, man, the U.S. has pretty much mastered biodynamic, like super organic farming. I mean, look how much food they can produce organically. They're selling like 2000 eggs for like a dollar 50 like they've mastered it you know this is why like america is such a such a huge powerhouse and then for years and years i kind of shopped and bought that food and didn't even think twice about it honestly and um maybe like three to four years ago i ran into a video on youtube called the dirt facts uh and it was kind of presented by paul check and he's like a holistic expert that's really big into uh, biodynamic farming and kind of trying to encourage people to navigate away from factory farm food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, after watching that video, it kind of opened up my eyes uh, towards that, man, the food that I'm buying at like uh, places like Costco, for instance, isn't the type of food that I was raised on, on that off-grid biodynamic farm in Ukraine. And the production practices are way different. And that's kind of, for the most part, after that video, where all the confusion began. So for the most part, most people don't care about sourcing high quality food, but for the people that do care, it's still like extremely confusing and still extremely hard to find high quality food that has like a great nutritional profile. So yeah, yeah. For, for example, let's just kind of uh, presume like, let's say you, you went to a diet, like a registered dietitian and uh, in kind of like the program they have written out for you, that registered dietitian told you to oh, you know, start including grass-fed beef in your diet, for example, as one of many variables that you need to kind of include to optimize your health. Sounds like a good suggestion, yeah. Yeah, so 99% of people will take this information, okay, I need to eat 
grass-fed beef and go to the supermarket. And basically, they'll see grass-fed on some of the labels. Sometimes they'll see grass-fed, grass-finished. Sometimes they can see 100% grass-fed, sometimes pasture-raised, sometimes organic. Right. And they'll see this grass-fed label, and, and they'll buy that meat, not even questioning for a second what that label means. In their mind's eye, they automatically presume like the cattle, for instance, are raised 100% on pasture. They're living their natural life when they see that label, et cetera, right. et cetera. And that little increase in price kind of helps reinforce that mental image as well, which mm. kind of adds a little bit to the deception. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't know is that, for instance, all cattle are grass fed. There's no way you can feed grain to cattle their entire life and keep them alive. So, for instance, in like a harvesting cycle, let's say there's like a two-year harvesting cycle from start to finish, the bulk majority of the time the cattle would spend, it depends from operation to operation, obviously, but the bulk majority of the time the cattle would spend on pasture eating nothing but grass, all Mm -hmm. cattle, no matter whether they're factory farmed or not. And, but the bulk majority of them are sent to a feedlot like a few months before they're harvested and kind of killed and processed and fed nothing but grains for the most part. And that short amount of time changes the nutritional profile of the meat quite a bit. Mm. But so when you see the the phrase grass-fed, they're not lying to you. It is grass-fed, but it's grain-finished. Right. And if you didn't know how to look past that deception, you wouldn't be able to see that. And then sometimes when I'm giving grocery store tours, um, uh, the person would say, oh, but my, my meat says it's grass-fed and grass-finished. Another typical practice that happens with that phrase is, for instance, they will be raised on pasture, uh, the bulk majority, let's say, like, ha- uh, let's say like 10 months, then fed grain for a few months, then finished on grass for like a week or two, and it could still be considered grass-fed and grass-finished. They're not lying to you. It is grass-fed and grass-finished. Oh, man. But there's a lot of grain that's substituted into their diet as well. And the problem with that is grain is not part of like the species-specific diet of a cattle. Like cattle are herbivores. They, for instance, like eat grass for the most part. And that's what helps optimize their nutritional profile. And in particular, that's what helps balance out the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. And for a lot of people, for listeners that don't know, like omega-3, for example, does a lot in your body. But one of the most important things is kind of like an Mm anti-inflammatory micronutrient. And omega-6 is a pro-inflammatory micronutrient. A lot of times with these grain-fed animals, animals that aren't fed a species-specific diet, so in this case, aren't fed nothing but grass or forage, for example, but supplemented heavily with grain, in particular genetically modified corn and soy, it's going to shoot the omega-6 way up, Mm. causing like a lot of inflammation in the person's body that eats this food group. Right. And ruin the natural balance between the omega-3 and omega-6 micronutrients. So a lot of times people will buy this meat because they'll see grass-fed or they'll see grass-fed and grass-finished and not realize that there is a lot of, there could still, it could be a legit operation, but there's a good chance that it's actually supplemented heavily with grain. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, geez, these swindling bastards, they, they figure out a way, you know, they figure out a way to, to do it. And man, what a, what a, what an amazing, like what a, what a trick, you know, it's just like, that's, that's what we see happening so, so, so much. And it's so hard because 
it's like, man, we just want to get good, clean food that's going to be good for us. And obviously, like the animals that are that are taken care of and aren't like treated in this terrible way. I just want to uh, back up a little bit also, too, because you brought up biodynamic uh, farming and, um, you know, kind of mentioning like how it's what you would imagine, like kind of a local mom and pop farm, you know, small, small thing there. Uh, what what else um, differentiates biodynamic uh, farming from, I don't know, I guess, say like organic farming or just farming? You know, it's it, what, what else does it encompass? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And uh, honestly, I could expand on that question quite a bit. But in short, biodynamic farming is a farming system that includes animals, plants and soil in one preferably self-sustaining ecosystem where even organic farming these days is just basically like a monocropping operation. So, for instance, this person grows carrots for acre and acre and acre and acre. This person grows just chicken. This person grows just cabbage. And the problem with that is, uh, the problem with that system is, first of all, it requires a tremendous amount of inputs because there's there's no self-sustaining going on there. So obviously, a lot of land has to be used for crop cultivation, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to actually provide uh, the resources ne- necessary to make those operations happen. happen. Another issue with that is if you're growing kind of like if you have like a monocrop operation, you're growing nothing but carrot after carrot, acre after acre, year after year, is it depletes the mineral content of the soil. So for instance, there are a certain amount of minerals that are required to produce a vegetable or produce a carrot. And if you're planting nothing but carrots, the soil will become deficient in those nutrients. And then once they become deficient in those nutrients, basically the soil is weak and weak soil cannot produce healthy crops. Mm. And when weak soil can't produce healthy crops, what you get is a lot of weak crops, obviously. And nature's way of getting rid of weak crops is pests. Pests come around and just eat weak crops. They don't eat strong, healthy crops. Oh, I see. And when pests come around, you have to use what? A lot of pesticides. Wow. And then what do those pesticides do? They kill the soil even more. So the next annual cycle, you have to use even more pesticides, which kill the soil more, deplete the nutrient profile of the soil, which give rise to weaker plants, which give rise to more pests, and the cycle continues. And then obviously going back to our discussion with the beef, for example, yeah. um, like a lot of the the far, like a lot of the farmland used. Uh, like, for example, like there are all these Amazon fires that's been kind of popular in the news lately. Mm. And a lot of people are thinking like these fires are for cattle operations. In truth, they're actually to harvest corn and like a lot of grains, corn and soy for factory farmed operations, but in particular for ethanol production. But in relation to what we're talking about here in terms of for factory farmed operations, if they're growing weak plants that are sprayed with a lot of herbicides, fungicides, whatever, a myriad of other chemicals, that's going to be making it into the nutritional profile of the meat because kind of you are what your food eats and is exposed to. Mm. So obviously, if that cattle is eating nutritionally inferior food, that's also laced with a myriad of very dangerous chemicals, that's going to be making it in the nutritional profile of the meat, fat, and organ content of that animal in particular as well. So not only not only are you getting meat that's not fed a species specific diet, which once again shoots the omega six way up, 
which is a pro-inflammatory, which causes a lot of inflammation in your body. And if a person looks up inflammation theory of disease, they'll quickly see that 90 plus percent of disease just arises from low-grade chronic inflammation. Yeah, yeah. 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 I know, uh, Dr. Andrew Weil is, uh, you know, a huge proponent of like, you know, reducing inflammation and he's written books about it and has, uh, I think a restaurant called true food kitchen that like provides like anti-inflammatory foods and stuff. So important. Um, and yeah, this, uh, biodynamic kind of reminds me of uh, permaculture, right? Yep. Uh, well, honestly, I don't know too much about permaculture. I've read it about it here and there, but I'm not like too much of an expert to talk about to talk about those practices. To be honest, yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it just it's it's pretty much the same kind of uh, principle. It's like just centered on on whole systems thinking, you know, rather than the kind of mono cropping thing, you know, j just natural the way that like a natural ecosystem would uh, would be. You know, and I think that sort of our, you know, what you were saying is coming from Ukraine to the United States and being like, oh, my God, look at this. They they they've done it, you know, and uh, and we haven't. We've just kind of, you know, factory farmed. We've 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 mass produced. And I think that's sort of the core of the problem. Right. Is like this this uh, massive just like get as much as we possibly can out who cares what the nutritional content is just keep mass producing this stuff massive supermarkets monocrop farms subsidized agriculture the pesticides monsanto the whole thing right i mean it's that's sort of what's what's at the core of the problem rather than these kind of smaller biodynamic farms and permaculture activities which is more in alignment with the true expression of nature and the true exp expression of 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 how life wants to exist um yeah yeah, exactly. And like one of the biggest arguments is like, oh, I don't buy that food because it's a little bit more expensive. So first of all, I'm going to break this conversation, this topic up into two two different topics. Oh, cool. So one thing is I did like a experiment where I went to a local kind of high end supermarket that sold like a lot of organic produce, but also sold like a lot of factory farm food as well called Sprouts in my area. And oh, then yeah. I stand we have that here, yeah. Yeah, so I standardized a 2,000 calorie diet. So the same amount of protein, carbs, and fat in each diet and both 2,000 calories. And I compared basically the price of factory farmed food to supermarket level organic. And for a 2,000 calorie diet, it ended up being $7.77 for factory farmed diet of 2,000 calories. And basically like $12.20, I forget the exact amount, but it was like in the $12 mark for supermarket level organic. So basically it's like a $5 difference, which isn't that dramatic. Like you can have a 12, the average person just needs, I would say about 12,000 calories, maybe even less since the average person these days isn't very active in their life. So to shop all organic, all you really need is about like 12 bucks a day. I mean, one McDonald's meal is like mm. 10 bucks, maybe even more if you get like the full meal. So it, so the price difference isn't that much. And in my opinion, like people that shop a factory farm diet also typically, from my observation, eat out a lot more. So actually, in total, they're spending a lot more on their food. Right. Yeah. And 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 then maybe because also factoring into the, uh, you know, it's it's hard to do because it seems maybe a little ab abstract for the for the average person. But like, you know, do, 
and I mean, even for me too, right? It's like factoring in the account of like, what's going to really nourish you and provide you with like the nutrients and sustenance that you need and want, and what is going to maybe eventually lead to sickness, which then costs more money. And then you have to get, you know, the the treatments and things like that. So yeah, in the long run, it, it, it definitely costs you more, costs you in the short term and the long term, right? To buy factory farm. Yeah, I like to focus on the short term because people aren't too focused about how sick they're going to be like 20 years from now. <laughs> so I feel yeah, like yeah. for the bulk majority of people that haven't felt like a lot of physical pain in their life, they're not going to have they're going to have trouble kind of really seeing the value in that. So I just focus on the day-to-day dollar value because you can have more of a appreciation and understanding of that loss. So much more impactful, I think, you know, that to 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 do that because it's just it's direct, it's immediate, it's right in front of us. I think one of the things that that uh that I've struggled with too and I feel like maybe a lot of people out there is that we find out about this stuff, you know, we see the documentaries, you know, I've watched all of them and you know, the food matters and uh earthlings and you know all these all these documentaries that come out. I feel like I feel like the culture that we live in right now, there's always like there's a new one on Netflix now called like the Game Changers. There's mm-hmm. Fed Up. Like there's always a new thing that's like talking about food and the food system. And like I'll watch it and then, you know, and people will watch it and they'll be, be like, oh man, like this is so fucked up. This is wrong. Like what are we going to do? But then eventually you're just kind of like, oh whatever. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. so it's it's because I don't know. Like it's it seems like such a massive problem and it seems like so omnipresent like everywhere we go restaurants that we go supermarkets where we go so like how yeah i mean you just mentioned how to make it a little bit easier for people what are some other ways that that can kind of bring this massive like crisis i guess we can call it of factory farming and how to kind of switch uh practically to different ways and you mentioned you do like food tours and you have your book and so what are some ways that people can kind of uh, take action like today to try and you know do some things that aren't going to be like so overwhelming or that they could kind of maybe stay focused and consistent on and maybe also too a part of that question is why like why you know i mean i think we talked a little bit about it too about how it can make you sick and you are what your animals eat and that and those sort of things but yeah just maybe a couple a couple things around that yeah, let's cover that as well. But really quick to finish off my um, to finish off the argument in terms of the price really quick. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, I think it's important for people to know this as well. Although once again, I think like the large bulk majority of people won't really care as you've mentioned. But for the for the small percentage of people that do care, I just want them to know that whenever you do go to a supermarket these days, even Whole Foods, I mean, you see like a tremendous amount of variety in food there. But the problem with the kind of like agricultural system in in America in general, and I think the Western world in general overall, is that basically there's a lot of consolidation in the food industry. So basically you go to a supermarket and you see like a lot of items, but really all of the items are give and take produced by 10 different companies. Mm. And I'm not for kind of limiting the success of companies, but what, what I have a problem with with that system is you basically have... 10 people or 10 like executive staff telling the whole entire country pretty much because like 99% of people are going to go to the supermarket, what they should be eating or what they have access to eat. And basically how farming works on, uh, in, in the Western world in general is through a vertically integrated system. And I'll kind of explain why the cost is so little on face value on factory farm food versus like organic, for instance, uh, not so little, but just a little bit less than organically produced food. Mm-hmm. 
And basically, they they work on a vertically integrated system. So, for example, let's say you're a chicken farmer and you're raising chicken for meat. And I'm like Tyson Foods, a huge corporation uh, that was basically at one point the biggest meat producer in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And actually, the factory farm system was invented by two American guys, John and Don Tyson, back in about 1955 or 1960. I forget the exact date, but they also opened Tyson Foods, which is kind of like a, a huge, huge company. I think they own like, I don't know, like 30 or 40% of all chicken produced in the U.S., right. just with that one company. So what happens is I come to you and I'm like, okay, so I have all the trucks. I have the million, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of slaughter facilities. I have the veterinarians. I have the patents on the genetically uh, produced grains. I have also the hatcheries as well. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to your door once a month and I'm going to give you a hundred thousand chickens and I'm going to need you to raise them to my standards. And then I'll kind of buy them back from you basically at the end of the four week growing cycle, because typically it takes about four weeks to grow a chicken to full size, well, like ready for slaughter four to six weeks in a factory farm system. And, uh, this is, a, and then, and then I'll pay you for raising them to my standards. Uh, but you have to kind of, if I tell you, you have to grow them indoors, you have to grow them indoors. If I tell you, you have to feed them not a species specific diet. So in this case, the chickens are omnivores, but you're going to be feeding them nothing but grain. So they're vegetarian fed, which is another label we can kind of touch on that you don't want to see on your, on your food either. And you have to give them these drugs, et cetera, if I want you to give them these drugs. And basically, you'll just get a paycheck. And this is kind of like enticing for the farmer because it takes away a lot of the responsibility that the farmer has to deal with. Now they don't have to deal with the marketing. They don't have to deal with the logistics involved. Uh, they don't have to set up contracts with all these supermarkets, et cetera, et cetera. They have like a whole network they can come into. Uh, and they kind of agree to that. And But once they agree, Tyson Foods would be like, I would tell you, Oh, but your facility is way too small to house 100,000 chickens. So you're going to need to take on like a $400,000, $500,000 loan and build a much bigger facility. And But don't worry about it. I know you're only making about fifty dollars to $30,000 a year. That's not even a problem because I already have a contract with the bank. And basically, if I send you to that bank, they'll give you that loan. And there's a farmer relief program set up by the government. I forgot the name of it, but basically if the farmer goes out of business, the taxpayer will will bail out that loan for the bank. So basically the farmer will take on that $500,000 loan. The bank will collect interest while the farmer is in business. And then if the farmer goes out of business, the bank doesn't care because it'll sell the farmer's land, the farmer will lose everything and the remaining money that they need, they're just going to get the taxpayer to pay for it. Oh, so, and, and Tyson Foods doesn't care either because it's not their right. loss. This farmer is just a contractor to them. So it doesn't matter. They'll just find like another, another person or maybe buy out their farm and then uh, buy out their farm and then just hire someone to manage it, which is how this consolidation happened to begin with. This is kind of how they run these small farmers out of business. And there's a lot of trickery that goes into this vertically integrated system, too, that kind of is off topic from what we're discussing today. But it's like very manipulative and it really puts these farmers at a tough spot because now you have all this debt. You're barely making any money and you have to do what these guys tell you to do because 
there's only like one or two other companies you can go work for if it fails uh, to make up this debt. And most of the time, if you do fail, they kind of blacklist you from the industry in general. So you're not going to be able to find work anywhere else. Oh my God. It's such a tragedy. Like it's, you know, big business and big government coming together do a lot of terrible things. And, you know, it reminds me of sort of the economic hitman protocol. I had this guy, John Perkins on the show, who was basically a government contractor would go to, you know, countries and do do the same thing. And it reminds me of like the the student loan system as well, too. I mean, when the deal sounds so sweet it's like you know to the farmers and then you know on the opposite side of things the the government and the and the corporations are in business together so they can't it's like a no-lose situation you know for them it's crazy yeah and another thing is is like all these factory farm systems just rely on grains like we talked about uh, previously and uh Feed for the animals, for instance, in an animal operation, composes like 80% of the total cost of the operation. So it's a huge bulk of the total uh, expenses involved in that operation. And once again, grains, that corn and soy, genetically modified corn and soy, that's another subsidized industry by the taxpayer. So it's like when you go to the store and you see that beef for like, I don't know, $2 a pound for like ground beef, it's more like – Four fifty or five dollars when you take in consideration the amount of tax money that goes into supporting that system, and then in that case, if it's four to five dollars, dude, just pay an extra dollar and you'll get organic right. beef. Yeah, you know what I mean. But like, obviously, organic, uh, like one, like legit pasture raised beef doesn't rely on grains, so they're not going to be able to get that subsidy kickback, you know. And they don't rely on these huge warehouse facilities because they let their animals roam free instead of kind of constricting them to these Nazi concentration camp like facilities. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a system like the, the current government subsidies system, I think, uh, in my opinion, just kind of put there just to benefit the large factory farms and to kind of disadvantage the small, the small guy that's actually doing the the right thing and has good husbandry practices and high levels of integrity in their food practice. Yeah, I can't help but go conspiratorial when like when thinking about this stuff, you know, it's like, you know, the, hey, let's let's subsidize the agriculture, tell them to do it one way, you know, give them all this shitty food, then it gets them sick, then they got to pay to get prescription meds. And then we're making everyone's making money and the the elites are winning and everyone else is suffering. You know, I mean, maybe it's a little bit more complex than that. Maybe it's not as focused and arranged as that, but that's sure as hell what it seems like, right? Yeah. I mean, the whole vertically integrated, there's a book called The Meat Racket. I forgot the, um, I forgot the author's name, but it's like one of my favorite books and it has very little to do about farming, although the farming is the background theme. Uh, it's basically a book about the rise of factory farming and how John and Don Tyson kind of like created this a vertically integrated system and implemented it into poultry. And then eventually they took over the pork and the beef industry for a long time. And at one point they're like the biggest meat producer in the entire world. Uh, but basically it goes into like all of the trickery. And I mean, the book was so interesting. It's more like read like a thriller because you can't wait to flip the page because you're like, man, what kind of scheming ass shit are these guys going to try to do next you know yeah i'm looking at it right here it says the meat racket the secret takeover of america's food business by Chris, christopher yeah. leonard the biggest takeover in american business that you've never heard of yeah it's like so many people just aren't even aware and and so many people don't they're not aware and they don't know and they just they also they, they need to feed their families and they just go and they just buy whatever they can and it's like 
man, it's you get once you get looped into this, it's it's hard to 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 break out. It, yeah, not just for the people, but also for the farmers and for the fucking animals too. Jesus, like you mentioned mentioned these Nazi concentration camps. I mean, what horrible horrible way to treat a living being in these in these slaughterhouse you know factories. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. And then to kind of also touch on uh, more more issues with government regulation and oversight. Uh, basically, like I mentioned, like uh, all these factory farmed operations rely heavily on grains. And even if you like during grocery store tours, like sometimes uh, like I give grocery store tours to people that are interested in losing weight and kind of learning more about how nutrition impacts mm-hmm. their health. And sometimes people a lot of times, for the most part, people know there are like chemicals on their like produce, for example. Yeah, you know? I was just thinking of that. But yeah, I was have, like, we were, we were talking about meat, but also this is for everything, right? Yeah. So they know they're like, okay, I know there are like chemicals used in the production of a lot of this food, but there are basically like three myths that uh, kind of people believe that help them justify the purchase of this food and continued purchase of this food. So there's a great book, and basically I'm getting a lot of this information from uh, The Myth of Safe Pesticides by Andre Liu, which is another like really, really good book. And I had a chance to interview him extensively for the research in my book, and he helped me uh, a lot as yeah, well. Yeah, your book is uh, Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide. That's the – yeah. Yep, exactly. And there are basically like three myths, and this applies to vegetarians as well. So we've been talking a lot about – meat, you know, but this totally applies to everyone because how crops are raised, how the soil is managed is going to affect how the animal is raised, the nutritional profile of the animal and the nutritional profile of the crops as well, because it always goes back to the health of the soil. So basically there are three myths. The first myth is uh, like I hear very often is basically people are like, oh, the government has my back and they do extensive testing for say for pesticides before they're allowed into the market, where in truth, there is no safe testing for right. pesticides. I know that's shocking. I know that's shocking to believe, but basically how the testing procedure works is in short, there are two ingredients in any chemical pesticide formulation. So first of all, there's an active ingredient, but then there are also many inactive ingredients that help increase the lifespan of the active ingredient and the potency as well. So for safety standards, the only thing that's required by these chemical companies is for them to test the active ingredient in isolation on its own without the presence of all those inactive ingredients, which increase the potency and lifespan of that active ingredient. So the entire common sense would say, I get the whole entire finished product and then I then I test it for safety. But this never happens. They never test the complete formulation for safety. They have just the active ingredient in isolation on its own, which has like a myriad of problems. First of all, in any crop production cycle, there's like a myriad of chemical fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides used in just one production cycle. It could be up to 10 different drugs sitting there, 10 different chemicals rather uh, sitting in an operation that they cycle through. So obviously everyone would agree with me that taking like 10 different pharmaceuticals at once is probably not a good idea versus taking one pharmaceutical that maybe has been tested for safety to work in isolation on its own. You hear of a lot of people always dying from taking a myriad of drugs altogether. And 
no one really knows how this cocktail of drugs is going to interact with the individual's biochemistry. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, of course. So, so it's important to remember that all these drugs aren't actually tested. The complete formulation is never tested for safety. And another thing I get, um, they'll be like, okay, so it's not tested for safety, but I'll just wash my produce and I'm going to wash it off. But in reality, most pesticides, the bulk majority of them these days are systemic pesticides. They work by basically the root of the plant soaking up the chemicals into the actual nutritional oh. profile of the plant. So the bulk of the chemical residue is actually inside the, the nutritional profile of the actual crop. It's not on the surface. Just because you're taking off the skin or you're washing the surface just cleans off like a very, very small minor, very, very small portion of the amount of trait uh, of the amount of chemicals in that produce. So that's Man. another problem. You're scaring the, me, man. I'm like, what are we going to do? Oh, no, we're fucked. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know what? When I read that book for the first time, I thought for sure this guy was exaggerating, although he had many credible peer reviewed studies in his book. But after, after looking into it myself for like a month or two, including like actually, um, the F, the FDA headquarters is basically right across the street from my house, and I interviewed someone from there. That basically is how it works. They never test like the complete formulation for safety. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, I mean, I I think this happens in in all areas of life, and especially like when I mean, it's always we always want to isolate something and 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 it, it look at it in like a vacuum, and and then because then it's easier to say, well, we're not lying. We did test it. You know, it's like yeah, reminds exactly. me of that Mark Twain quote where he says there's there's lies damned lies and then statistics you know and I, I was talking with someone that worked for a pharmaceutical company and they were telling me about how you know they how they manipulate the stats to show what they want to show so they can market the things they want to market the way they want to market it and sell it and make the profits and do all that stuff so yeah it's massive manipulation yeah and that's another thing like first of all all of the safety testing isn't even done by government agencies it's done in-house by the chemical company scientists. And then they take these studies and they, for instance, send it to the EPA or the FDA, and then the EPA and FDA evaluate these studies. Like, for example, you know, you know, um, Roundup is pretty popular. You heard it in the news yeah. these days, that Monsanto chemical formulation. So basically, uh, they claim it's like 100% safe. In fact, like most of these uh, chemical companies claim their chemicals are 100% safe, but ironically never release the studies they actually produce to claim that. Like the weird thing is it, they're released at times if there is like some kind of lawsuit and then they're released or like some kind of disgruntled employee leaks some papers here and there. But basically like if you're proud of your research and if your product was 100% safe as you claim, like why wouldn't you be happy to disclose that. Right. Wouldn't that be a groundbreaking research discovery? Yeah. Why do you have to hide it? Like if you graduated from Stanford, why would you not put it on your damn resume? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, it, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a tough marketplace, you know, and people are trying to make money. So just remember that like a lot of times there's corners being cut and stuff like that. And don't kind of trust it on just the surface value, which was the concept behind my book, because I try to kind of make it easy to navigate around all this trickery and labeling claims. And to kind of tie back a little bit more to our conversation earlier is uh, like the third biggest one in terms of myths I hear is like sometimes the, they're like, oh, the trace amounts are so small, it doesn't matter. 
But if you kind of look up a myriad of studies on PubMed.gov, you'll see like a lot of these chemicals have a negative impact on your body, even in parts per trillion, which is like one drop in three size mm. Olympic swimming pools. And they will still have like an impact on your health. And you're not only having that one, once again, you're not only having that one active ingredient, like the average newborn born in America has trace amounts of 200 different chemicals in their bloodstream already. Yeah, and that's just how wow. they're starting I life. Mean, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, this is, in my opinion, like, I mean, I want to say this is everything, you know, because it's, I mean, everybody eats, <laughs> you know, everybody goes to the grocery store, everybody gets food. And of course, you know, there's a lot of people that maybe don't think about what they're putting in their body, but there's a lot of people that do. And there's a lot of people that care and they think they're doing the good thing and they think they're informed and they're like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making it happen. And, and, you know, what we put in our bodies is so important, even yeah. if it's, it is just these trace elements. I mean, uh, who knows what kind of effects they could have on us, like we were talking about before, like even maybe directly or later down in, in, in life, what kind of cancer and disease and sickness and all kinds of different things that, that, are, that are going on. Um, yeah, like that, that, that's such a major, uh, major part of it. I mean, it's, it's like what we – who is it? Heraclitus? That's, it was a Heraclitus? Or what? No, Hippocrates. Yeah, Hippocrates, right? Let food be thy medicine, medicine be thy food. Yeah, exactly. And then to kind of tie back to your question earlier of what people can do, obviously, that's like a huge topic to consider. A uh, really interesting and entertaining book I found is Civilized to Death by Dr. Ryan. I forget his first name, but it's like a very. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good friend of mine. I had him on the show. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep. Uh, that's actually how I found. Uh, um, how I found your podcast, listening to his podcast interviews. Oh, cool, cool. So I find his his conversations like entertaining and just that topic entertaining in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not uh, obviously being healthy isn't a core priority in most people's lives anymore. It's kind of right. like, uh, you know, the most important things to kind of like your life, for instance, are like good food, you know, good healthy food, good sleep, good relationships, um, just like love towards yourself. That's kind of taking a back burner, especially in America, you know, like first thing is work 10 hours a day. And for most people work a job, you don't want to definitely be working in 10 hours a day. And then with the remaining time you have, which there basically is no remaining time, you do everything else, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's more of a core priority issue. And my book isn't meant to transition that group of people into eating healthier. My book is meant for people that already made the decision that they want to eat healthier, that they want to source high quality food, but are just confused on how to navigate around all these labeling claims. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's my main thing. And to, and to provide solutions, because it sounds like I'm just complaining a lot and I'm not, I have like very reasonable solutions in the book, like in relation to our beef conversation, uh, you can get really high quality sourced beef from a website called eatwild.com. It has a mini map mini act, um, interactive map. So you can click on the state you're from and it'll show you arrows exactly to where legit 100% pasture raised operations are. And all of these companies do at home delivery. So you can just order from them and then it'll show up at your door. Another great one in terms of the beef is um, American grassfedassociation.com. That's a very, very good company, incredible company, a certification body rather to purchase high quality beef and pork from. And you can go to AmericanGrassFedAssociation.com, and they also have an uh, interactive mini map. You just kind of 
think it's at the bottom of their website. You just kind of click on the state and it'll show you exactly where all these farms are near your place. And there's a bunch of farms in every state. The factory farm industry hasn't totally destroyed small farming. It's very accessible if you still want it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So providing a very easy, reasonable solution to to the problem I mentioned instead of just listing problems. Well, this is great because for the people that are listening to this – right now and the people that do care like you said the people that are interested like the, taking action to move in those directions i wrote those websites down i'll put them in the show notes and and i'm going to check them out too because it's like we kind of that's kind of where we're at right now is where we have to kind of like go again against the grain pun intended uh you know like we have to sort of uh, put in a little bit of more extra effort if we want to see some more changes occur that are going to actually be a little bit more convenient and easy for us. Because right now the convenient thing is go to Sprouts, go to Whole Foods, go to Trader Joe's, whatever, wherever you go, and just get your stuff. And you know, a lot of the time, sometimes I'll go and I'll be like, "Well, it's they're selling it at at uh, Whole Foods, so I guess it's it must be good, you know, because it's Whole Foods." Um, and it's the convenience, like you mentioned, you work 10 hours a day, you're at a job you don't want to be at. And then all the advertising, oh, come out and eat this. The best burger is 17 strips of bacon. And, you know, it's like, man, we want, we want that pleasure. You know, we want that release because we're, we're spending all of our time doing things that we don't want to do. And then, you know, so, so, but really for the people that are listening, the people that are interested, voting with our dollars and like moving into a more, a different space. Well, then I think, I think will then kind of create more of that opportunity to exist if more people are taking action to go in that direction. What do you think? Yeah, um, I kind of like would have to agree and disagree a little bit on that one with the voting with your dollar mentality. And it does work to a certain degree, but the problem these days is, uh, so first of all, if people are interested in shopping at the grocery store, a quick solution for that is cornucopia.com or .net, I forgot exactly. But it gives an overview of every single item you'll find in the supermarket, and it gives you a rating of how factory farm that food is. Okay, cool. That's another solution if you really are dead set on sticking to the to the supermarket. There are still things you can buy at the supermarket that are good for you that do have good production practices, but it's kind of like, I'd say, 10% even at Whole Foods. Right. And then the rest of the 90% is just junk, like factory farm stuff that – uh, like, for instance, another tricky part with crops is like, uh, for my research, the U.S. is the only country that allows hydroponic vegetables and fruits to be certified as organic. Hmm. So like um, the bulk majority of tomatoes, bell peppers, and at least blueberries and lettuce in my area are just come from hydroponics, even the organic ones. So they're not even grown in soil. Huh. Wow. Yeah. And it's like some, sometimes people are like, oh, what's wrong with hydroponics? And honestly, I can't give them like – Super dead on like scientific research showing that there is a lower nutritional profile, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing I do know just using common sense is the earth has been around for 4.5 billion <laughs> years of extremely yeah. complicated evolution that even the best scientists only have like a super vague, vague, maybe even inaccurate understanding of. Right. And it took that long of super, super complicated evolution to form the type of soil necessary to produce that kind of crop naturally so by growing it through an ivy drip in a container in some weird chemical solution if you think that's the same crop i don't know what to tell you you know right yeah. with food i always say presume guilty until proven innocent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's your best strategy because how many times how many times have you heard uh 
I think it was like Paul Cech that also said this as well, but basically uh, every drug that was scientific, every drug that ended up killing someone was at one point scientifically proven to be completely safe. Right. And how many of those commercials do you hear on the news like every single day? Like, oh, contact this law firm if you took this antidepressant or contact this law firm if you took this high blood pressure medica medication, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear that all the time, dude. And I wouldn't be surprised if through a long enough time span, every single one of these pharmaceutical companies proved to actually mess up your health more than actually helping you in the long run. My, my interpretation of like pharmaceutical drugs – is basically, uh, my good friend Jator Pierre gave me this one, is basically like a child will know how to solve this problem, but an adult will not. And that's like basically, like if you have a rock stuck inside your shoe, like a child would just take their shoe off and take the rock out to avoid the pain and, and then put the shoe back on and continue walking in a comfortable manner. But an adult, they'll just take painkillers and continue to walk with the rock inside their shoe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Dude, that's like the summary of the pharmaceutical industry and like America in general. Like I think I read some article. I'm not an expert in this area, but I read some article and it said like close to 80% of Americans are on some kind of pharmaceutical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's why I think it's all tied together. I mean, you know, we have this natural interconnected web and, you know, with these really complex, um, you know, ecosystems and and learning and information sharing and, you know, the, the crops and the plants and the soil and the animals and the human and like, but, but we've meddled with it. Yeah, our, our whole approach in the West is band-aids on bullet wounds. You know, it's like, just take this, just isolate this one thing. Like if we could just identify this one bad guy, oh, okay. So, you know, the pesticides that, that, that'll, the, the roundup that'll solve the problem. We'll just keep adding more of these stupid solutions onto there. They're not really solutions that are just kind of like these band-aids or these, these things that actually make it worse. I don't even know what the analogy is. Like, you know, it was like pouring like acid on a wound or something. And it's just like what, you know, the getting back to, like you said, the earth knows what it's doing. It's been doing it for millions of years. So yeah, this whole thing is, um, and as you alluded to Chris Ryan's book, you know, civilized to death, it's like, it all, it all ties in together. Um, to this, to this, this whole fucking operation, you know, I, and I like to say that like, in, in a sense, we kind of live in a, in like a factory farm, you know, I mean, look at what we do to the animals. I mean, that's sort of what, what I think is being done to us in a way. Yeah. Right. And like producing and consuming and going to work and not having the time to think about any of this stuff, just keep on the treadmill. Don't worry about it. Get sick by these yep. things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so how do we escape? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. That, that's a big, that's a good question. I don't have like a, a thorough solution, thorough solution for that. Well, you one, have, but, I mean, you, what you've uh, been talking about, these are parts of the solution. It, it takes work. It takes practice. It takes informing ourselves and taking the time to, you know, if we do care about these things, you know, and also I think it's, it stems from like, do we care about ourselves? You know, it's like, if you care about yourself. Yeah. And that's yeah. the problem because that's that's the i guess etiology of the problem is once again i mentioned like just health isn't a core priority and the problem is is like you have most people start developing issues like in their 40s or 50s and then start taking action but the problem with that strategy is you've already invested like how many thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars into the factory farmed industry the pharmaceutical industry before that happens you know yeah 
So it's kind of one of these Ponzi schemes. It's like people keep dropping off, but because the money keeps flowing in at a certain funnel, it just keeps going, right. you know? Yeah. What about, yeah. And you, you brought up like, like also like eating out, like I, I cook a lot, but I also eat out too. And I try and go to places that I think are good, but that I never really kind of like investigate them. I mean, it reminds me of this. I don't know if you ever saw the Portlandia episode. I think it was like one of their early episodes where, uh, they go to like a restaurant and they're asking the waitress like, Oh, is this organic? And she's like, yeah. And they're like, Oh, is it farm raised? And like all these questions lead to a series of like, from them being at the restaurant to then like going to the kitchen and like talking to the chef and then like driving to the farm and like talking to the farmer and then like talking to the chicken. It's like all these questions about how the things are raised and all this stuff. So when, when eating out, like what, what do you think about? Cause I mean, a lot, you know, a lot of people do eat out. I mean, it's a big part of our culture now. I think more people eat out now more than ever before. Um, and so when eating out, you know, you see a place and you're like, I mean, are there certain kinds of questions or things that we should look for or, uh, or know when, when eating out? Yeah. So I still eat out as well, but honestly, when I eat out, all I do is just select, uh, like wild caught fish. That's the only thing I'll ever eat when I eat out. Oh, wow. And the problem with that is, uh, even with that strategy, there's a big problem because even these, uh, fancy, like high end expensive restaurants, they're still using industrial cooking oils like canola oil and all those like super pro inflammatory oils that kind of shoot your inflammation way up. We can be ordering like, for instance, I could be ordering like sockeye salmon fished out of somewhere in Alaska and they could just be cooking it in canola oil. And then the, the food group becomes toxic in that point. Mm. So I think You'll be really hard pressed. I haven't ever been able to find a single restaurant that uses like good sourced oils or maybe no oils at all. Like I don't even cook with oils mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. home. How, what, what, how come uh, you don't – do, so I, I'll use uh, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil sometimes I'll use. What's what's the deal with the with the oils? So for me um, – so first of all, like a large portion of those oils are imported and imported from countries where those – the regulatory bodies of those countries can't even manage serious crime in their mm. countries. Yeah. So how are they going to go out of their way to make sure to manage uh, agricultural irregularities in compliance rates, right. you know? Wow. So there's that. There, like, for instance, like going back to the grain question, since we covered that so much, like 50% of the grain that is in the U.S. is imported from like super corrupt countries like Turkey and Ukraine. Right. And I'm, I'm from Ukraine, so nothing personal, just talking about facts yeah. here. It's, it's super corrupt. I think Ukraine's probably one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And there's a tremendous amount of corruption at the broker level. So what happens is uh, the Ukrainian farmer would farm conventionally using a lot of like pesticides, for instance. They would put these grains into a container on the docks, some kind of broker or something would just switch the paperwork and import it as organic. And this happens all yeah, the time. They They're making money. I know, yeah, the Washington, they don't, they don't give a shit. Yeah. I know the Washington Post did like an investigative piece on it. People can Google it and find it. I'm sure it'd be easy to find. And so even when you're buying like, for instance, um, let's say free range chicken, which doesn't mean anything. And it says vegetarian fed on the label, uh, vegetarian fed, Remember, chickens are like omnivores in this case. They should be eating bugs, insects, all that stuff. But vegetarian fed, meaning grain fed. Where are they getting their grains from? From these like 50% chance from these corrupt countries. 
And even if it says organic, I mean, is it really organic? I right. Doubt yeah. It, you know? I, I'll go to the supermarket and I'll, oh, cage free, farm fresh, uh, organic, uh, you know, f- oh, that sounds good. And look, there's like a happy chicken and he's dancing around in a field, free range chicken. So even that there's, you can't trust that either. Yeah. Like free range. So first of all, another deceptive, uh, label I fell for for years is product of the USA. So legally, any company can claim product of, like I can ship in carcasses from Mexico, process them into, uh, like pig carcasses from Mexico, process them into packages here and label it product of the USA. Damn. Yeah, you know, a lot of people talking about different countries and stuff, like um, uh, a lot of people will say like, yeah, you know, when I go to France, you know, the food tastes different there. It's uh, when I go to Italy, the food, the, the tomatoes are different. Everything's different. The meat's different. It tastes different there. Uh, even, you know, in, in Asian countries, it's there's the different, different flavor profiles, different textures. There's richer. And and so are, are there certain places in the world where they are kind of doing things more correctly, more, more in a biodynamic way or just uh, or is, is do you think this problem is? Specifically, like you mentioned, it's like a Western problem, definitely United States, you know, some other other places. But yeah, I, I hear that and people do talk about that. And it's it's always interesting because it's like, I mean, why yeah, why do we have to wash our food before we eat it? Why why does the food taste why does uh beef taste different here than it tastes in France, for example? Um so are yeah, are there places where they're doing it in the world that it's like, oh, that's the model we should be following? Uh, well, I mean, to answer your question in terms of beef, why it tastes different, they're most likely using a different breed because there's so many different breeds of cattle. Mm. So it could still be fa- like most of the food, even in Western Europe, is factory farmed. Uh, I think like um, I was in uh, I was in Germany maybe like a few months ago, and I did notice, shockingly to my surprise, they did have Demeter certified, which is a biodynamic certification program produce like a decent amount of it in the supermarket, which was like, I don't know, 15 to 20% of the total amount of goods in the supermarket. But then the rest of it was still all factory Mm. farmed. And honestly, even going to Europe, I mean, most of the people there are still overweight and full of like mental and physical pain. Mm. Uh, Obviously, there's more to the puzzle than just eating well. There's more to the puzzle of health and wellness than just eating well. Although like I would have to say nutrition is one of the main pillars. You know, nutrition, sleep, good movement, and then also a genuine happiness in your life, not one of those faked antidepressant type happiness, you right. know? Side effects may include Those suicide. are the four pillars. I mean, there, it doesn't get much more complicated than that. Those are the four variables. If you really genuinely master those and also master the concept of managing your central nervous system, you know, like not working too much, but not working too little. Everyone is different in that one. So you got to find that, as Aristotle would say, golden mean. Yeah. That that kind of balance that works well for you. And that balance changes all the time too. You know, one week you could work a lot and feel okay. Then the next week you need to cut back. You know what I mean? Your equilibrium yeah, changes. Yeah, because that stress has a major impact on us too. And that probably leads to inflammation as well, stress. And uh, and, and I'm sure that the animals are under tremendous amounts of stress being in these horrible conditions and then that when then we're eating that so yeah that 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 plays a role in in the health as well yeah so i mean there for those that are kind of more spiritually inclined there is um there is that native american belief that like if you eat the flesh of a miserable animal you also gain the misery of that animal oh i believe it i don't know too much i know you know a lot more about this than i do but uh one of my friends 
uh, that does um, psychedelics. He told me one time he just experimented with like eating, uh, doing something. I forgot exactly the substance he took, but he, he took the substance and then he ate like some kind of like factory farmed animal meat. And he felt like, uh, I don't know, this tremendous amount of terror, wow. you know, like flowing yeah. through his body while on it. I forgot the exact, honestly, the exact details of the story. But anyway, so there is something to that. Like if you eat the flesh of like a miserable, miserable animal that was raised. I mean, even in these free range chicken operations, we kind of hinted at before. I mean, in California, the average, uh, the average space is like one to 1.2 square feet per chicken. That's basically like a printing paper. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, and I've, I've changed dramatically over the last uh, few years. And, um, you know, for me, I think that, you know, psychedelics and my spiritual practices have made me more in tune with all like life, you know, and just like, man, like these are, these are living beings and to be, to have them in these conditions and then to be eating them in these conditions. I mean, it's just, it's just terrible. You know, I, I still eat meat. I, I, I eat mainly plant-based and I have a lot of friends that are vegetarians and vegans. And, you know, I, I think that a large part Part of their thinking also involves, you know, the, the kind of the, the moral of, of it, and like the, you know, the ethical things about, you know, eating meat and, and that sort of thing, but also the health component too. And so maybe there's a lot of people also listening to this show that are like, Hey, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegan. Like I get organic stuff and I'm, I'm good. You know, I, I'm not participating in this thing. Is there any kind of, um, well, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, yeah, what, what, what would, I guess, what would we say? I mean, we, we touched on it though. We did, we, we touched on the, the pesticides and stuff, but, but what about sort of like the, the aspect of just like eliminating meat totally from your diet and like, okay, cool. I'm not part of the problem anymore, but then you're still eating these vegetables and stuff. I mean, these are also monocrops and part of the subsidized agriculture, big, big farm industry, right? Yeah. Honestly, like this is like, um, a, pretty deep topic and in my my um opinion like both uh you know whether you should eat meat or whether not have as many rights and as many wrongs you know what i mean um uh, unfortunately when you have like a population that it's as big as the u.s uh, that's as big as even the world population there's going to be a huge impact on wildlife whether you're eating them or not mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to make room for First of all, all of this cropland that's kind of destroying wildlife is is kind of, um, I guess, burned down and plowed for crops, not for animals. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So by being a vegetarian, you're eating vegetables, but that's exactly what all these monocrop operations are, are, are for. They're growing vegetables. They're not growing meat. And only like about maybe 25 to 30%. I don't know this number exactly off the top of my head, but a fairly small percent of it is going towards factory farms. Most of it is going towards like ethanol production. And then I forgot the, the small percentage is going to other, other things. I, I don't know that, that yeah. topic too well, but yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when you have like 8 billion, I don't know how, how many people are on the planet now, seven or 8 billion. Yeah. When you have that many people on the planet, uh, it creates an imbalance, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, in, in kind of the ecosystem of the entire planet. So it's like, uh, honestly, the most common sense solution is to die down the population, but people aren't going to like hearing that, you know? 
Right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I know. I know. It's like not. Or expand, or I don't know too much about space travel, expand to other planets. That's a, <laughs> those are the two basic solutions. But in my opinion, like before the expansion of other planets happen, the population has to be cut down significantly, you know? Yeah. And we have to and kind obviously of learn. People aren't going to do that because, you know, what, what, what am I going to go? Are you going to go? You know? It's tough to make that decision. Yeah, we don't want to just like replicate what we're doing now on like Mars or something. Like we, you know, we want. I think we want to get back to the roots of good health and good, you know, nature too, and and, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, the other thing that I was thinking of, I remember being in in Peru and in, in the Amazon, and you know, there um, we had a, a talk by this guy Chris Killam, the medicine hunter, and and he um, was talking about like acai and like where acai comes from and ma- ma- maca, and you know, it comes from this particular location the peruvian andes and like there's certain kinds of people that have just made their lives like you know with this but now because it's becoming so popular in the west that it's they're kind of entering into this like global civilized so-called you know money system where big you know companies are coming in and they're extracting that out and it's taking away from the sort of small kind of maybe you know biodynamic operations that they had similar to what you're talking about with like the tyson and the factory farm and the subsidy thing so it's like even even that because we you brought this up too uh, earlier, like the sort of because I and I see it right, and you're in you're in California, you know I'm in Denver, but there's these kind of you know trendy kind of more expensive places, and you know you can go and get you know acai bowls and smoothies and all this stuff, but like is it is that also part of like it seems like everything has some kind of cost to it and some kind of problem associated even when we think that we're eating the the cleanest things, Hawaiian spirulina and you know all this stuff, so. In like carbon footprint, you know that that plays into it, right? Too, it's like yeah. shit, man. Like you know, it's like fuck. Like what you know, we're we're trying to do good and we're trying to to eat healthy, but and 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 help the planet and and the biodiversity and everything. But it it seems like uh, it seems like everywhere you go, there's a little something attached to it. So so what's the solution? Just like reduce the the level of problem attachment to wherever you go and whatever you do i mean is that that's sort of the, the the play you know i'm not sure i'm the best kind of example to provide a solution for that more sustainable system i mean like a few things i do is i wear kind of like i've been wearing the same jacket for basically like five years already right. you know like i buy like an expensive one i forget the company's name but it's a mountain climbing one and then i just um just have that for a long time instead of buying many cheap ones, you know, and kind of try to take care of it. Another thing in terms of how I transition out of buying factory farm food is very gradual. It took uh, like a few years. So first I started, uh, I bought like 90% factory farm food and then 10% organic. Then like a few months later, I'll buy 20% organic supermarket organic. Then like a year later, I'm buying 100% supermarket organic where now I'm like buying 50% supermarket organic and 50% I order from kind of those websites that I mentioned to you. A great, a great one for those vegetarians out there, uh, Farm Fresh to You mm. is great. They source from local farmers. It's organic. They uh, rotate their crops seasonally, et cetera, et cetera. And they kind of deliver straight to your door. And it's like a, 
it's like a subscription. You get to pick which vegetables and fruit you want, and then they kind of based on the season, and then they deliver that mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, in New York, I had uh, signed up for this like co-op thing, and where they basically just um, would deliver like a box of uh, vegetables, and I think I I asked for some chicken too, and it, or whatever the the I think it was whatever they had there like whatever they were growing locally in that season was sent to you so yeah i mean what about stuff like that like uh co-ops or even i mean growing your own food i mean i know it's probably really difficult for a lot of people to do but uh yeah any any thoughts on 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 those uh ways of going about it yeah i mean uh, i grow like a little bit of my own uh crops and then we used to have a few chickens as well we don't have those chickens anymore but me and my girlfriend that's what i'm uh, speaking about but um, honestly, I keep that out of the book. I think that would be a great solution, but I don't think it's realistic for like 99.99999% of people, you know? So I moreover try to kind of show them the easy way of making the transitions that I made from like factory farm food to supermarket level organic, then buying from like actually legit uh, like organic pasture raised operations or biodynamic operations of those websites that I mentioned to you. There are many more websites and they're included in my book. I had the book comes with like a extensive video series as oh, well. Cool. Oh, nice. So I kind of basically walk a person through the entire supermarket and I show them exactly like what all the labels mean. Uh, going back to really quick, the beef one, this one kind of pissed me off for a while because I kind of fell for this one for a long time. I saw the 100% grass fed label on some beef that I used to buy. And I bought that for like a year. And then at one point I was just bored at home and I gave the company a call and I'm like, oh, how are your guys' operations, et cetera, et cetera. And they're honest about it. And they're like, oh, we finish our cattle with grass pellets in a feedlot. Mm. So it's like um, it's, it's, it, it, it could get very tricky. But honestly, if you just go to those, uh, those websites and then obviously I'm not trying to sell my book. But in the book, I make it like no, really, no, very please. easy as well. Let's- uh, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's sell your book. I'm going to buy it. I want to know. I want to get into that video. So if I buy the paperback version of your of your book, it comes with a video series too? Yeah, they'll be able to have access to, I forgot the exact time frame, but maybe like an hour and an hour and a half of video content where I break down, uh, you know, we talked extensively about beef, but I also talk extensively about chicken, pork, fish, water, supplements, vegetables, fruit, um, turkey as well. So a lot of a lot of cate- uh, food category groups. Yeah, and I see here also too. You talk about uh, how to source quality water and supplements as well. That's yeah. that's pretty important too because yeah, a lot of people are talking about that now. Like uh, like there's a water crisis or something. Like what? I, that's news to me. I didn't know that. I thought water was readily available. I mean, it seems like, I mean, fuck, man. Like you know, the the, the world that I want to live in is not such a complicated world. It's like you you grow your your vegetables, you have your animals, you get your water from the stream or whatever but now it's such a mess so yeah your book is in the videos and stuff is is helping to kind of navigate this mess because that's what we need you know we need these guides out there but yeah what's what's up with water i mean you don't have to get too deep into it because i know you know it's in the book but if you want to give a little and and supplements too if you want to kind of maybe touch on that a little bit that'd be great yeah so water um obviously that's outside of like love in my opinion that's the most important nutrient to optimize your health Mm out of all the nutrients out there, you know? So every single cell in your body kind of requires consistent inflow of water to keep functioning. Uh, I guess my recommendation is um, 
So typically there are three variables you have to look for when determining whether water is ideal to drink. There's the pH, there's the total dissolved solids, and uh, there's the hardness of the water. So ideally, like for my research, the pH should be about 78. The total dissolved solids should be about 300 parts per million, and the hardness should be about 120 parts per million. The good thing is, is uh, you can go online uh, on Amazon, for instance, and order like a pH tester, a total dissolved solids tester, and a hardness tester for like 30 bucks for oh, all of bad. those. And then basically you test your water out of your faucet. And I'll talk about that. I know the faucet thing, the tap water is a controversial thing, but I'll talk about that in a second. Then you kind of test it with those tools. If it comes in ideal for those numbers, the next step would be to determine what's the chemical content of this water that I'm drinking. So in that case for your tap water, everyone uh, can contact their water utility company and they're required to send you a free toxicology report of your water. Sometimes they also have it listed on their website in a PDF format. So first, okay, you determined that the water is good to drink in terms of those three variables we mentioned in, uh, mm -hmm. a second ago. Next, chemical content. Okay, so I got this report. In my area, the water utility company is very, very good. And there's still trace amounts of like 20 to 30 chemicals in the water that they test for. Mm -hmm. They only test for maybe like 120 chemicals total, but there are obviously thousands of chemicals in the market and in the ecosystem. So uh, even with that, even from those 120 plus chemicals that they tested for, maybe like 20 to 30 still came out. Trace amounts of those chemicals are still in the water. So you can imagine if they tested for every single chemical, I might be getting a few hundred trace amounts of a few hundred different chemicals per glass of water. Mm. Mm. And what I would do then if I'm dead set on just drinking the water from home is I'll take that report and then I'll go to kind of a, like a local company that sells water filters, give them that report and tell them I need a filter specifically to filter out all these chemicals because not every filter is the same. You know, this filter filters this out, this filter filters that out. I forgot there's a really good book on showing exactly which filter filters what out. Uh, and I listed it in my book, but I just forgot it off the top of my head. But then basically you get the filter to counter those chemicals. But then the, the tricky part is here, it gets like very, very tricky because the more you filter the water, the more of the nutrients you kill in the water as well. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a lose-lose game. It's like, uh, for instance, water treated with reverse osmosis or distilled water, it has like a pH of like two. It's like very acidic water and almost no, uh, probably no hardness or very little total dissolved solids as well. Shit. So the hardness would be the magnesium and calcium content of the water, basically, or also some other electrolytes right. and then as you well. Gotta, well. If you're deficient yeah. in that, then you're taking supplements and you got to spend money on that or whatever. I mean, it's yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, like that's a good point because I, I heard, um, a good point about testing and then bringing it to there and, and finding out if it, if it does that, cause it's not like a one size all, uh, one size fits all thing. Cause I heard that this water filter called the, the Berkey water filter, like that's the best one. It's the, it's the best one to get. It's very expensive, but it's the best one to get. But it might not be filtering out maybe some of the things that are in, in your water in your local area, right? Yeah, and this one, uh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know much about the Berkey water system. I'll check it out actually a little bit after. I've heard that one a few times. I'll check it out a little bit after uh, after our episode here. But um, 
If you want to get rid of all the chemical content like uh, present in your water, I think the best way to go is the reverse osmosis or a just water distillation unit. But then that's remineralized in like seaweed and all this other stuff. I don't know exactly how they do that, but there are like many companies typically called like water breweries that do that. Oh, cool. So then they bring the total dissolved solids, the hardness and the pH back to its optimal numbers but without that chemical content present as well. However, I think there's like a little bit of a setback here too, because even the best scientists in the world that study water are still confused by the content of water. Mm. So when you're doing that filtration system, sure, you're rebalancing it with those three variables, which is a good step in the right direction. But who knows what you're destroying in the process? You know what I mean? I don't know. I I highly doubt even the best scientists in the world know because they're still – uh, like a guy I like to follow a lot is um, Dr. Uh, Pollack. He's the author of um, Fourth Phase of Water. I forgot the name of the exact book, but I'm pretty sure you can Google it and find mm-hmm. it. Um, he's the most credible water researcher, uh, in my opinion. I like following his stuff a lot. There's another good book called um, You're Not Sick, You're Thirsty by Dr. Uh, he has like a, a very long Iranian last name. I forget it. It starts with a B. His nickname is Dr. Batman (laughs) because it kind of sounds like Batman, but then it's like 10 times longer. Cool. Um, That's another great book. Uh, So yeah, I mean, that subject is tricky. I think it's kind of like, because the ecosystem is so polluted these days, uh, like the coal plant shoots up mercury into the clouds, then the the mercury goes in the clouds, rains into the water, then in the seawater or in the lake, it's transformed into methyl mercury, then that makes it into then that evaporates and goes back into the clouds then that rains back down into the crops you know what i mean yeah yeah the vicious cycle it's kind of like yeah exactly and i guess a deeper question is my question is once all these chemical companies you know they close shop and all the executives walk away billionaires basically like who's left to pick up the mess yeah right i mean you know i i I can't help but think and i've been thinking about this a lot i can't help but think that this is all part of you know i mean it all stems from this kind of um you know monolithic money system that we're in where it's like you know everything is guided by profit like what is going to maximize profit what is going to give us the best return what's going to keep tyson purdue and all these other companies in business and getting the you know what's going to keep the the people in government you know rolling along and filling their pockets and and the, what's going to keep the pharmaceutical companies in business and it's it's all feeding this machine feeding this status quo machine really what what i think you know what we're seeing is now you know with your work and your information you know thank you so much for for bringing this and shedding light on this because we need people out there to shine lights in little directions and then maybe we can transition into a you know because maybe there's not a whole bunch of massive amounts of money to be made by like small little operations where people actually show care and love for what they're doing and care about what they're providing for people but maybe that's the better maybe that's the better way i think that's the better way to more health and more like actual wealth like the wealth of health right so yeah i don't know just a, a comment there about like you know because it seems like every maneuver that we make is a maneuver within this kind of limited sandbox of this uh, dominant uh, economic system 
you know, that kind of restricts people from, you know, you, you have, you're forced to make these choices. Like you brought up before with the farmers, like they come and they present you with this model and it's like, well, I mean, I guess this is going to be what's good for me and my family. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it goes back to, I, I think you might be a lot into this, but kind of just diving into yourself and finding out who you really are. And a lot of people, honestly, most people are never going to do that in their whole life. Yeah. Most people are just going to be, uh, even grown adults are inside like 12 year old kids, Yeah. like for their whole life, you know, secretly bulk majority of people, they want to be told what to do. So the government and these corporations are doing what they want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like very few people are going to go kind of rogue and do their own thing and be the person like they really want to be the core values that have their life represent the core values that really mean something to them, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of the, obviously the etiology of the problem that led to the food problem as well. Uh, but yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the rod. That's the core. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It all stems from there. Eugene, what, what are some of the most common questions, I guess, that you get? I mean, maybe we, maybe we address some of them on the show, but I'm sure you probably have people reaching out to you all the time and, and, or, you know, even through the, through, through the book and, and just kind of being, uh, asking questions about maybe what they should do or what the problems are or what some, you know, some things are, but what are, what do you see, I guess, as, uh, Maybe, maybe it could be a two-part kind of question where it's like common, the most common misconceptions and the most common questions that you, that you hear or the, the things that, that are at the top of your mind that you're, that you're thinking about or, or maybe, I don't know, worrying about or just kind of taking notice of. Yeah. So I'm kind of like I'm a fat loss coach in the Orange County area. And I guess in relation to that question, uh, like I would recommend if a person doesn't want to lose weight or become in shape, just find out like – the, the root cause of what led you to find it acceptable to get out of shape, to gain all that weight to begin with. Yeah. And solve it at that point, at that level. Don't focus on working out. Don't even, you could focus on eating well. Sometimes if a body is so toxic, it produces toxic thinking as well. Yeah. So you can kind of clean it out a little bit from eating there, but don't worry about working out. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just worry about finding out like the real core reason why you became so overweight to begin with. And and don't fake it. Some good resources are, like I have my first book, The Laws of Aesthetics. It covers that topic as well. Some other good resources are. Um, I really liked uh, Paul Cech's PPS Mastery series. The first one is called Living Your Legacy DVD series. I think it's like a 16-hour DVD series that talks about how to really identify your genuine core values and live by them. That's going to cause, once you start doing that, that's going to decrease your stress levels a tremendous amount because you'll actually be living the life you want to be living. And then his other, his other two, it's like uh, the, the first one, second one, and third one, and I think you'll be good to go from there. But all of that series is pretty cool as well. Um, so I, 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 I like those two. I don't know if yeah. that answers your questions. I go, no, I go on tangents sometimes. No, I that's good. What I that's good. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, being the, the fat loss, uh, coach, I, I didn't know that, um, initially. And, uh, cause I was kind of just keyed into, to, um, the anti-factory farming, but now I see laws, uh, laws of aesthetics, definitive blueprint to rapid fat loss, the perfect body and living a health centered lifestyle. So yeah, that's, I mean, that obviously ties into it, right? I mean, cause you know, yeah, I, I, I had a period of time where, you know, I got fat and I'm like, gee, you know, and it was, you know, because I was depressed. 
I was depressed. I was, I was not uh, in a good mental state and food was a thing that like connected with me. Some people connect with drugs or alcohol or other things like that, but food was this kind of toxic comfort. You know, it was this uh, immediate gratification comfort that I could feel something and maybe stuff myself. And, and I feel like, I don't know, some, like I'm alive in some kind of way, you know? Uh, but, but yeah, the, and, and it, it leads me to think about like, this kind of like body positive movement thing. And I, I think that, you know, obviously we shouldn't like fat shame people and make fun of people and we shouldn't like be cruel to people just because they're overweight, obviously, obviously. But then also it's like, I don't know, maybe like, should we be like promoting uh, like people that are overweight and fat? Like it doesn't seem to me, that doesn't seem really healthy or that it does anything to contribute any sort of progress like i don't know what, what are your thoughts about that yeah i don't know honestly i don't know what to say in that on that subject uh, i guess from one vantage point someone can look at it and be like oh well these people are supporting the factory farm system you know yeah. which is creating this loop of the far like the pharmaceutical industry for instance 80 percent of the antibiotics sold are sold to the farming industry <laughs> You know, so they're like one in one in one. It's like the farming industry sets up all these diseases and then the pharmaceutical industry has a solution for the problem they created, too. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's like they make money both ways. And then one person can make the argument that like uh, it's this kind of mindset that's leading, you know, to the promotion of that type of industry, because typically the people that eat that shitty food eventually become reliant on the drugs as well, like the pharmaceutical drugs to try to get better, but they never really get better doing all that stuff. You know what I mean? But then also on the other hand, I don't think like making fun of a person is going to solve anything either, you know, or fat. And a lot of people do that in in the fitness industry that I've been in. I've already been coaching for like 13 or 14 years. So quite a while. And that is a common tactic to kind of fat shame people, but it doesn't do anything because first of all, uh, there, there's a really good program called like one, two, three, four, overcoming obesity and disease. <clears throat> and for my interpretation of that program, it's kind of like, you have to look at it in multiple layers and I cover, and I cover this a lot in the first book as well, but basically fat gain is a symptom of poor lifestyle and nutrition choices. But poor lifestyle and nutrition choices are a symptom of a mindset that doesn't facilitate healthy living. And a mindset that doesn't facilitate healthy living that leads to that weight gain is basically a symptom of a couple of different variables. One, the person doesn't feel safe in the real world to express who they are, presuming they know who they are first. And because they don't feel safe in the real world being who they are, they kind of seek out comfort in this addiction, in this case, the addiction to food. Because food provides them unconditional love. It also provides them control. They're able to eat the food when they want it, and they're able to put the food away when they want it. And the food doesn't judge them. It just gives them pleasure. Another common thing is people don't know who they are. So they feel kind of lost inside, like empty inside, which leads them once again in the food topic, the obesity topic, right back to that food. It provides them a safe place to eat to nourish themselves and to have control over their life. Also, another thing that's common, according to that uh, one, two, three, four, overcoming obesity uh, product is um, there's oftentimes like a, seems like a love-hate relationship 
in the person's life. So a typical one is, uh, oh, I've been together with this person for 10 years. I did actually genuinely love them initially, but now we have two kids and it's 10 years later and I just don't love them anymore. And But you're with them and this is causing a lot of stress inside of you because you're not able to kind of express your true self, most likely at work because combined people working jobs they don't want because those jobs aren't expressing their core values. And then coming home and once again, being in that environment where you can't express your core values, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you can see how this provides like an insidious stress on a cellular oh, level yeah. on a person's body just all day, every day, 365 days a year. And that's why these days pretty much, and I've gone to many countries in the world, anywhere you walk out outside, probably easily nine out of 10 people you see are full of mental and physical mm. pain full of disease and obesity. Yeah. Wow. You know, and it's obvious. I mean, you don't have to do the study. You know what? Just go walk outside today, like anywhere in America. You even pick the place and you'll see yeah. that I'm right. Yeah. It's so, man. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That was, that was pretty profound actually. I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, and, and, you know, what you like, you mentioned, you'll come home and, you know, you're stressed and there's the food and, you know, and, and you're isolated, you're alone, you're not in community, you're not with other people that are, you know, um, because that that's a lot of a lot of that is what we need is you know other people to be i try and surround myself with people that are you know living healthy and going on hikes and physically active and and eating good and you know uh just trying to you know loving themselves and taking care of themselves and i think that you know for everyone listening out there too like you know if you don't have those people in your life find them because that that is going to make massive a massive difference. Like we don't have to do this alone, you know. We could do this together, and I think doing it together is is sort of the way that makes it fun too, and makes it easier. And then you start feeling better. And when everybody's feeling good, then uh, you know things better things can be be created. Um, so yeah, I know I know now you know we're kind of like in this uh, holiday season. I guess we would say we just had Thanksgiving, and you know Christmas is coming up, and I'm going to be going back home to New York and visiting my family and stuff. And there's going to be all kinds of food and treats and desserts and things like that. And what do you what do you do when you're you're at like you know I mean I guess you know my my mom's going to make uh, some chicken or turkey or whatever she's going to you know so it's like you know everyone's going to be surrounded in this kind of environment and obviously we all everyone gets in these situations in life where it's like well I'll make an exception so I mean I guess sometimes exceptions are okay but. Other, you know, other times, and I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Is is it like, is it a big deal to go and kind of uh, just, <laughs> I don't know, eat shitty, like crappy food for like a week and then like return? I mean, I mean, I, it, it's difficult. Or maybe I should start pressing my family as to like where they're buying their stuff and like, you know, how how militant I guess should we be in our approach to this in terms of the our health. You know, like, is it okay to deviate once in a while and eat stuff that's just not that great? I mean, we're pretty malleable and adaptive. Like, we could bounce back, right? It's not yeah. going to, like, be the end of the world. I would just say, you know what? Eat whatever you want. Just make sure your sourcing is legit. Like, why can't you eat turkey? But just make sure it's sourced from, like, a pasture-raised operation that's uh, – the turkey is an omnivore, so make sure they're fed – Worms, bugs, even reptiles. You can feed reptiles to turkeys. Uh, if they're supplemented with some grain, that's okay too. But just make sure they have that balance in their diet and they're not just fed GMO cool. corn and yeah, soy. Yeah, I'm going you know? to bring that up. Uh, so yeah, it's just yeah. all about protein. I'm not saying 
yeah, I'm not saying you have to be super strict with your diet. I'm just saying source your food correctly. So if you want to eat steak, you want to eat some good lasagna or whatever you want to eat, just make sure the sourcing is really good. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that one of the most important things, cause I'm going to, I'm going to start talking about this too, because one of the things that, that I had, I hadn't done for a while is like being around friends and family, of course, like, you know, I, you know, this show, obviously I talk a lot about psychedelics and consciousness and things like that. And, you know, so even with food, just, yeah, for people listening out there, like introduce the, introduce these ideas to your family, like invite them in for a conversation about this kind of stuff, you know, and it doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be, you know, talking down, but just like ask some questions and see, see what goes on. I think that's a cool way to do it because then you, then maybe you can get a conversation going too about this. Yeah. And you know what? You could always like uh, order your own, like get your own food, like even uh, and then just bring it to the family event and ask them to cook that. Yeah. Like, why not do that? You know? Cool. Yeah. That, uh, you don't, have, like to, you don't have to be like a fitness Jesus, you know, <laughs> trying to convert everyone. But like um, because that's kind of pointless because they'll change when when they want to change. You can't change anyone at the end of the day long term. You can manipulate them for sure and cause short-term change, but then the second you leave their life, they're going to be back to exactly where they wanted, where they, where they were, anyways. Maybe not where they want to be, but where they were, regardless. You know? Yeah, I always think of it as like just kind of planting little seeds. You know, like you know, because like my my parents, like they don't know anything about this stuff. So you know, just maybe like, oh hey, I learned something, and you know, kind of sharing that with them, and maybe they won't get it, or maybe they'll be resistant to it at first. But you know, planting little seeds and just little sending out little invitations to consider things and and provoke some thoughts out there. Well, Eugene, th- this has been uh, this has been tremendous, man. I really uh, really appreciate you 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 know first reaching out to me and and coming on and everything and sharing this stuff. I mean, it's just really tremendous. I, I'm going to get the book like now and watch the the video too. It's super super cool. Um, what sometimes on the podcast, what I'll do is like when I'm ending it, I'll I'll ask this kind of like real big kind of big picture question, uh, and uh, and I'll say like you know if you were on like say CNN and Fox News, you're on all the news channels for whatever reason like you're the hot you're the guy of the minutes you got your 15 minutes fame you're on every channel what would the one message that you would uh communicate and obviously we we touched on a lot of it on the podcast but you're kind of like uh i don't know elevator pitch or like soundbite um kind of thing to communicate to people out there in the world about the things that you work and practice on honestly just live out your core values if if you don't know them then Start going out there and experimenting, and then when you do something you don't like, that's basically the universe telling you that you don't like it and you shouldn't do it anymore and try something else. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. That's my quick, yeah, quick soundbite. You know, they, they yeah, so like for instance, when you date someone and you don't like them, don't be mad about it. They just showed you that you shouldn't be dating that kind of person. So now you're closer yeah. to figuring out who you should be dating. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, listening to a Charles Eisenstein, who's an author I like a lot, um, podcast, I think, where he was talking about – um, you know, this, this, this woman, she was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm afraid to confront my husband about something because I'm afraid that if I do, then he'll leave me. Right. So it's like staying in this kind of paradigm of fear that prevents us from moving, even if the movement that we need to have happen is going to be disruptive to our current kind of 
toxically comfortable situation. So he's like, eventually, you know, the behind below every fear, there's like a truth and that truth wants to emerge. Right. And so then when we keep that suppressed, all kinds of bad things can happen to us, stress, inflammation, you know, depression, anxiety, all kinds of stuff. So he's like, you know, eventually she did confront her husband about this thing and he did leave her. And some people might say, oh my God, that's terrible. But you know what? It, it was good. It was the truth that needed to come forward and be born. And that truth comes from your, your core values and finding out what those are. So thank you for bringing that to attention because it's super, super important. Yep. No problem, Mike. Man. Okay. So tell people where they can find you. Uh, obviously, you know, we mentioned the book, the books and, um, and things like that. Where else can people go? Can they follow you places and subscribe anywhere or uh, websites or anything like that? Yeah, they could just find me on my website, uh, www.trufkinathletics.com. So trufkinathletics.com. And, or they can just type in my name in Google and I'm sure they can find my Facebook and all that stuff there. Well, Eugene, thank you so much. This has been such a illuminating uh, educational podcast. I, I really appreciate you making the time and sharing this wisdom, folks. Go out there, get this book. This is this this is uh, this is good. You know, Eugene is is shedding light on uh, a way that we can um, navigate this toxic swamp that we find ourselves in and, and find better things. So, I'll have all the links in the show notes and everything. Thank you again, Eugene, for being on. Take care, everyone. Peace. Cool. Thanks, Mike. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, go and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a five-star rating and a review if you feel like writing something. Uh, that would be great. It helps the show a lot. helps us bump us up in the uh, Apple algorithm, get the podcast exposed to more people. So if you like the show, go ahead and do that. If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate, become a patron, be a part of the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum WhatsApp chat group of people chatting and connecting all around the world. We're finding the others, bringing them together, creating community. One of my favorite things to offer. I also release bonus episodes. Sometimes I do episodes that are kind of raw and kind of beta test them for the producers of the show, which are my patrons, the people who support the show. Big shout out to everybody that's a patron. Thank you for your love and support. If you want to do a one-time donation, go to my website, mikebrank.com. Go to PayPal and do a one-time donation if you feel that. And uh, I really like the method of donation. It's a, it's a gifting mentality. And reading Charles Eisenstein's books recently and his talks have really kind of made me embrace the spirit of the gift, of giving and gifting. And what better time than this holiday season to be generous and to give. And, you know, if you like the show, just tell, tell people about it, spread it, share it. Also, contact me. Go to my email uh, on my website, the contact page, mikebrank.com. Reach me on Instagram, mikeadelic underscore podcast. Hit me up on Facebook. Send me your messages. Send me your thoughts. Send me guest suggestions, ideas. Share your story with me. Reach out. Give me feedback. What do you like? What don't you like? And uh, I love to hear from people. I always respond. So uh, you can go ahead and do that. If you're interested in CBD, we have Hemp Bombs as a sponsor. You can go to hempbombs.com, get all kinds of CBD stuff. And um, I used to take their, their gummies. I think I'm going to start taking them again. I ran out, so I got to get some more. But uh, they're really good. And um, yeah, check it out. If you're interested in CBD, you want to give it a try, put in the code MIKE15 at checkout and get 15% off all of your CBD 
wants, desires, needs, and so forth. Big shout out to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. And uh, of course, thanks to Muse, who uh, I mash up their song and put the Terrence McKenna clips and everything in without their permission, but somehow I'm still able to do it. So thanks, because I love that. And uh, what else? I don't know. Thank you so much to everybody for your love and support, for listening. And yeah, I really, uh, really, 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 from the bottom of my heart, really can't express how grateful I am that out of all the podcasts out there that you choose this one to listen to. And uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, let's really make this a collaborative effort. If there's something that you hear, that you notice, you know, something going on with the show that you're like, hey, you used to do this or you do that, or I'd like to see this, or hey, did you ever think about that? Shoot me a message. I'm open. I communicate. I message back. I like this to be a collaborative effort. I want more community involved in this. So anyway, thanks. And uh, till next time, peace.